The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern-day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast. My name is Sadie. And I'm Stani. And welcome back. It's September. Does that mean it's officially fall? I think it's officially fall. At least in Nashville today, there was a chill in the air for the first time in a while. The last couple weeks were like unbearably hot. And then yesterday when I walked out of work, it was nighttime. And I was like, wow, there's a slight chill in the air and that has carried into today. So I'm willing to call September fall. That is so lovely. Utah's a little unbearable right now, not going to lie. But we had a really long winter, so I think summer's trying to catch up still. Summer's trying to catch up. That makes sense. (laughs) But hopefully within the next little bit, that would be nice. And I'm also realizing that the day this comes out, it's Labor Day. So I hope that if you're listening today, you are doing so not at work, maybe on a walk. I don't know. Enjoying life. Definitely. Enjoy. Rest from your labors on Labor Day. That's the point of it. Truly. I'm excited because we get to talk about an artist today. That's our structure. Every month we each individually cover an artist and then we have two topics, sometimes three, depending on how many Mondays there are. But today we're talking about a really cool sculptor who just went by her first name which I always love because I've lapsed into that myself. But she just went by Marisol. That's a good name to just go by, too, I feel. It is. However, if you want to Google her and find more information, you'll probably have to use her surname, which was Escobar. We can just dive in. There are a million art movements that she was associated with. I was trying to remember there was one other person we covered where I had to define exactly where their art movement fit. I'm trying to remember who it was. It was the lady who, like, sewed the blanket. Aha. Sonia Delaney. Oh, okay, cool. So she was one of the ones that I I did, like, a whole thing on all the different art movements to try and explain it. Marisol's influence within all these art movements is even more confusing. Cool. <laughs> Every paragraph I read on her, they threw her in a different art movement. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And they're like, oh, she was highly influenced by this. Actually, she was highly influenced by this. And it's just belonged everywhere. Yeah. She did. She was active in the United States and Paris, a little bit of Paris, in the 1960s. And so it was primarily pop art that she was influenced by, which we talked about with your episode on Pauline Bodie, although that was British pop art. And this is American. Similar vibes but there was a lot of like other art movements going on at the time because of like the counterculture and everything that existed during that time period that meant that she just overlapped with all of them and so I will get to a point when I talk about her artistic practice that we will go through and define all of the art movements cool first I'm gonna set up a little bit of context on Marisol herself okay so Marisol was actually born Maria Soul Escobar on May 22nd, 1930, to her Venezuelan parents in Paris, France. She actually had an older brother, Gustavo, who was named after her father, Gustavo Hernandez Escobar, and her mother, Josefina. And they were actually, this sounds like the life, they were from wealthy families and lived off of their assets. Nice. So they got to do whatever they wanted. Yeah, That's no job. my dream life. Nepo baby <laughs> yeah. right there. They lived off of their assets from oil and real estate, which I'm like, man, yeah, they probably <laughs> lived. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so they were rich, rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they were. They traveled all across Europe, the United States, and Venezuela as well. And that was her childhood. Good um, for them. 
I know. I'm like, huh. And then during that time, Maria Sol began to be commonly known as Marisol, which was a Spanish nickname for those names. So they, they just mashed them. They together. fit together just so perfectly. They really yes. do. Sadly, her mother actually committed suicide when she was only 11. Oh. Probably with some mental health that she was going on as well. Don't fully know why. What happened immediately after those sucks too, like her father shipped her off to boarding school in to Long Island, New York for one year. And I don't know if she like was there when it happened to her mother or if she like discovered her, but there was definitely some trauma involved in this movement moment because totally. she didn't speak for 10 years. Oh my gosh. Which I know is a common thing that happens to children when they experience great trauma. A lot of the times they just don't talk. They just kind of go mute. Yeah. Yeah. And so she didn't speak again. She did make a few exceptions, I think, that got her by. She would answer questions in school or other things that were required of her, but no conversational language until her early 20s. Wow. That's so tragic. She also would walk only on her knees until they bled um, and often would tie ropes tightly around her waist. I don't have any context for any of that. I just know that it was definitely like a response to some like heavy trauma. Obviously, losing your mother at such a young age, like, of course, that's going to be traumatic. So, yeah. However, it didn't affect her artistic talents at all. Her parents actually encouraged her to draw from a very early age and would take her to museums as they traveled across the world. She earned a lot of artistic prizes at various schools that she attended and ended up settling in Los Angeles in 1946. So she was only like 16 around that time and going to school there for a while. Mm. She also had a really big talent in embroidery and spent three years embroidering the corner of a tablecloth. Wow. Yeah, which was probably gorgeous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't see any photos of it, but I imagine it was just beautiful. Yeah. yeah. When she was in Los Angeles, she was enrolled at the Marymount High School and she hated it. So only two years later, she was transferred to the Westlake School for Girls. And that's where around that time, she also started her formal art education with night classes at the Otis Art Institute and the Jepson Art Institute, both in California and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. She's really young, by the way. This is 16, 17 years old that she's doing this. And she studied under Howard Warshaw, who's a famous artist. He's also a psychotherapist and like a game designer. I was trying to remember what he's most famous for because I know the name. Oh, yeah. Okay. He programmed the Atari games, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T. That's, yeah, it's pretty. (laughs) Yeah. Video game pioneer. Yeah, literally. She also ended up studying for a short while in Paris as well at the school, the Beau Arts School, Mm -hmm. and then returned to New York to study at the Art Students League of New York. I think this is why so many influences are in her work. Yeah. Her education was literally split between Los Angeles, Paris. She was getting a very full education, which is really cool. Yeah, in all different places. You've got like West Coast, East Coast, and Europe, which at that point in time, now we all mesh together a little bit more because of social media and technology and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that time, those were like completely different worlds from each other. True. So very well-rounded. She's most notably recognized as a member of the pop culture movement of the 1960s. Ooh. However, she is not a painter primarily. She did paint but her focus of her work was on three-dimensional portraits and then she would mix in like photographs and found objects and all sorts of stuff so they said that she would use like a piece of wood that would become like a sculpture based on the mona lisa or like an old couch that she would turn into an art installation like lots of found object work and a lot of things that influenced this so this was the post-war period of course and society after the war was really gung-ho on traditional family values so fixed roles based on race and gender and so the pop art movement even though she's largely associated with it now didn't welcome her at the time oh okay And this is like a really common thing. I think I might have even mentioned it in your episode that pop art was so male dominated. 
which is yeah. so funny because every other art movement we talk about when it's brand new, like the women it are usually at the forefront. Be. Yeah. Pop art, the textbook chapter, entirely men. My teacher had to do an extra credit thing that we could do where we would learn about the women of pop art. And he had to make it a whole other curriculum because it wasn't allowed. It, like, it's not a part of the history of pop art, yeah. which is annoying. And a lot of people are trying to fix it now because there were women doing pop art. They just were excluded because of that, like, fixed roles, post-war, I don't even know what to call it. Basically, PTSD. <laughs> Everyone was like, yeah, we need tragically. to go back to the way that it was so that yeah. this doesn't happen again. But she really liked to challenge the social norms and highlight intricate aspects of being a woman and mixing in, like, all of these different things. So this is where we get into all of the many definitions of what she did. Okay. <laughs> all of the movements she was associated with. I don't expect anyone to remember all of this. I would be really impressed if throughout the whole episode anyone was able to keep track of all of this. Because I Amazing. even know like loosely what all of them were, but I like looked up. So the first one is folk art. And which is funny because she was formally trained as an artist and folk art usually refers to people who were not. But it also is characterized by a lot of simplicity, using a lot of, like, materials and incorporating a lot of, like, local culture, customs, things that are deeply rooted in the community. Okay. Folk art's been around forever. Obviously, it was most prominent in, like, early, early America. Think, like, handmade furniture. Yeah. Embroidered tablecloths. Like, Almost like heirlooms is kind yes. of, yeah. Definitely. So that's like 19th century at the latest. Cool. So that would be the first one. And then we have Ashcan School, which I was really surprised to see associated with her because Ashcan School is like 1900s as well. And she's 1960s. But she did study in New York under teachers that probably were a part of the Ashcan School movement. That makes sense. So, like, naturally, if your mentors are primary people in that, like, it'll just carry over. Yeah, it, like, seeps into you in one way or another. So mm -hmm. Ashcan School was, like, a group of artists who really focused on depicting scenes of everyday urban life, especially mm -hmm. in New York City. That was at a time when the city was, like, really dirty and criminal and like it was the yeah. 1900s <laughs> and so mm -hmm. it was like the gritty unglamorous aspects of the city like working class neighborhoods lives of everyday people crowded streets like very realistic unvarnished it literally looks a lot of the times like it was drawn out of ashes of like burnt stuff that's where it gets its name but that moved art movements into a more genuine less idealized representation of america then we have the Dada movement, which we talked Love about. Love the Dada movement. Yes. <laughs> yes. Also before. That was 1910s, 1920s primarily. That happened during World War I and then spread throughout Europe to the United States. Mm -hmm. This was people who were really disillusioned by the horrors of war and societal norms. Once again, rejecting conventional artistic and cultural values. Yeah. There's Mar Marcel Ducamp is the most famous name from that. And it also involved a lot of like collage, assemblage, everyday objects presented as art. I think we talked about the toilet. Yes. Literally the stuff that people a lot of the times associate with abstract art and they'll be like, oh, it's just like an object and then they call it art. It's not abstract. It's actually Dada. Yeah. Isn't the Dada like the toilet bowl? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like literally the most absurd stuff possible. Like they went... This is an art. Yes, it is. And that's Dada. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> what moves really closely with that is surrealism, which was founded by a French writer and centered in Paris, but spread very quickly internationally. So you can see how that would also seep into her education. Totally. <laughs> they believed the idea that if you could tap into your subconscious, you could real reveal deeper truths about human nature and society so it was this idea of the subconscious mind a lot of ideas of like dreamlike fantastical bizarre kind of mm -hmm. stuff there's the really famous painting with the clocks dripping over yeah oh yeah totally that's very surrealist and that's by i think salvador dolly 
Or you have Renee Magritte, who I think he did the one where all of the men in bowler hats are walking down the street and they have apples for mm-hmm. faces or something. Or they're both maybe I'm mixing two of his paintings. Anyway. <laughs> I know what you're that yeah, one. referencing. But... <laughs> yeah. And then the next one is Abstract Expressionism, which is right around that time, right before. So it's 1940s, 1950s. And this was Spontaneous Emotional Expression. If you think of Jackson Pollock literally splattering paint on the canvas, that's mm-hmm. abstract expressionism. And primarily action painting, they say, influenced her a lot, which was the idea of using spontaneous energetic brushstrokes to convey your feelings rather mm-hmm. than painting something. Then we've got pop art, which is the 1950s, 1960s. And that was like taking cultural norms of the time and then critiquing them. And especially with the explosion of pop culture and consumerism. So you've got like Andy Warhol, who's most famous for it with the Campbell soup cans, the paintings of Marilyn Monroe, stuff like that. Like stuff that existed in our world that we were seeing every day and then critiquing it, challenging it, challenging art. (laughs) And it continues today. There's two more. (laughs) Amazing. It's a good brief art history lesson i know i was like goodness gracious she was involved in everything yeah and i feel like we've touched on a lot of these movements like just with different artists that we've covered but it's like nice to get a good reminder i think good i'm glad (laughs) and i know i'm naming only male artists and i'm saying the most recognizable names that's on purpose that's because most of the general public knows them yeah i promise there's women in all of these two. If you've been listening to our episodes, you would know. You've been a longtime listener. <laughs> okay, the next one is New Realism, which is the translation of the French name, which I'm not going to try to pronounce because my French is abysmal. But <laughs> there. That is the 1950s and 1960s as well. And it started in Paris and then moved its way over. Once again, this is focused on everyday consumer culture, post-war era, But it had a lot of focus on found objects, assemblages, and, like, the realities of contemporary life. So they were, like, trying to bridge the gap between art and everyday objects, and they really enjoyed irony and critiquing, like, consumerism. I think I would say pop art and new realism, that's what I would associate with her. I'd say the American pop art movement and the French new realism movement, I think those fit her the best. I can see why everyone else throws every to there too but yeah i think those two fit the most the last one is op art which is short for optical art not to Mm -hmm. be confused with pop art which emerged in the 1960s this is like optical illusion visual effects other things where they're using like geometric shapes patterns contrasting colors to trick your eyes and brain and create movement within a static image so yeah everyone knows what an optical illusion is It was that, but obviously a little bit more advanced than, like, the ones you looked at in elementary school. Yeah, (laughs) that makes sense, yeah. (laughs) And, like, artistic, but, yeah. So those are all of the movements Mm -hmm. that pop up. Amazing. Adjacent to her name. And going back to the point that you brought up of, like, the fact that her schooling was so wide-ranged, it makes sense that she would have just a toe dipped in all of these because you're right, like, it's really easy to forget that like the internet or like the way that we exist in the world right now where we do have the ability just like instantly to see all these different kinds of art movements or I don't know even just like google how to do this you know like I thought that was like a cool thing that you brought up that like before maybe things were actually a lot more regionally focused because you'd have to travel somewhere to see what they were doing there you couldn't just Google it or people weren't just sharing pictures on Instagram. Like, yeah. And I think that was just, I don't know. It's like a, oh yeah, that would be weird. Like you wouldn't see art so easily if like you couldn't share ideas across the world that easily. It was a whole bigger process. So the fact that she was able to travel the world and go to all these different schools, like that is very unusual actually. Yeah. It's crazy. Like probably Mm -hmm. the most well-rounded art student. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because those were like the three artistic capitals at the time, too. Mm -hmm. And she studied at all of them. Yeah, it's so cool. It's crazy how much the internet has changed things. I was listening to something today and they've done studies where like regional accents are pretty much gone because we all are on the internet. And so we can just so we just all have a universal way of speaking now. Yeah. Interesting. 
I know. It freaked me out a little or I was like, my kids will probably never hear like a Southern accent. That's true. Like now, like I don't hear as many people like our age with like thick th- Southern accents. Like now, like living in the South, but like I'll hear older people that I'm like, oh, they do have a slight Southern accent. Yeah. And here. there's still little tiny words that'll be different and everything of based course. on how you learn them. But it's like it's getting rid of a lot of the drawls and stuff that like people used to have. Crazy. The internet really does change a lot about our culture. So one thing that she also loved to focus on, like I said, was gender roles. She loved to display aspects of femininity within her construction. And so by constructing like a woman, she was creating like a social construct of a woman. But then making it out of a bunch of different stuff, she would like create physical differences for each of them. And it was this idea that womanhood isn't fixed, but socially constructed. And then it was also like the idea of there is no one size fits all definition of femininity. It's composed up out of different elements. And often femininity is defined by men as a mother, a seductress, or a partner, when in reality, everyone's a little bit of both. There was a lot of rambling paragraphs about this whole thing about how like using different objects and stuff, she was like constructing this idea of woman. Went a little bit over my head, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. And I've read a lot of artistic stuff. I don't know if this was from her and they like, or if this is like a post thing. I know like the challenging femininity by like making the women out of different things. That's what she was trying to do. I don't know how in depth the rest of it fully fits in, but still really cool. One of her famous paint like sculptures is called Woman and Dog. When I say sculpture, you're probably imagining stone. Correct. Yes. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) That is not the case. We're talking found objects and pop art. So these are not made out of stone. Incredible. They are made out of like wood and boxes and mannequin heads and discarded pieces of clothing. And I think clay. Cool. And that might be a taxidermied dog. Either that or it's real. No. Yeah, you should Google it right now. Look up Woman and Dog by okay. Marisol Escobar. Woman and Dog. Okay. I see what you're saying. But it's so tiny. I know. I can't tell. It looks so real, though. It does look very real. I will give you that. It's got to be like a little toy, though. I hope so. But you're right. It does look, it does look a lot like a dog's face. Is it just a, maybe is it cut out picture printed? No. Oh, it could very well be a photograph. Yeah, I think it, it just might looks be a so real. Can't no, tell. you're right. Every picture, it does look th- like a 3D full-on head. Yeah, I'm not sure. I felt. Like Wait, how big is me. it? How big is this? These are like life size. Oh, yeah. I was imagining them as six inches tall. No, these are like life size. Okay, kindly, that is a little horrifying. <laughs> I know, and it's weird too because the women don't look real, and then the dog is. Is very realistic. Very real. Okay. I will obviously post photos of these. So follow us okay, on Instagram. But for the reference point that it is life size, that changes the way I was viewing these. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That's more intense. Size. They're cool. I like what she's doing here. They are cool. I'm pretty sure they're life size. I think No, I you're saw... right. I'm seeing a picture now. They're okay. fully like. I was like, I thought I saw them in a museum with someone standing next to yep. all of this. See, that's the exact picture I'm looking at. Like, those are <laughs> yeah. full on. You're totally right. To explain to our listener. Yes. So sorry. there are three women that are made out of, like, boxes. Yeah. And then there's a little girl who's made out of a smaller box. And then a dog who's made out of an even tinier box for its body <laughs> and the women have like different elements some of them have cast faces so they are so i think like plaster cast look like mannequin heads oh my gosh sorry pausing i'm just read something yes it is a taxidermy dog head okay i was because right then. i was reading the medium it's like wood plaster synthetic polymer and taxidermy dog head I'm so sorry for doubting you, but I also did think that it was a six-inch tall scale sculpture. So I was like, (laughs) no way. Oh, my gosh. That's a real dog head. Yeah, that's pretty gross, actually. Wow. I'm donates their dog to that? I don't know. 
you know what though it is making a statement and it is i'm feeling it i'm appreciative i feel like what she's trying to do it is satirical it's definitely a found object <laughs> yes Ooh. okay so two of the women have like plaster cast faces that are painted they look a lot like mannequin faces the other one is just a wooden ball and then it has a photograph i think of marisol herself on it of just her face and mm-hmm. it's very small. And then the girl's face is painted on the wooden base with her haircut. And then the dog's head is taxidermied. There we go. And this is to show the women being civilized in their manner, like monitoring both themselves and those around them, especially because the women who have the plaster faces have like multiple faces. So they're mm-hmm. like looking at everything, like always staring at you no matter where you are. <laughs> Yeah. And then she loved to put like herself in a lot of her sculptures because she would like distance herself from her subject by not making them look humanoid per se. But like, I don't know how to explain. Like they're distinctly human, but they don't look like humans. Yes. I I, Yes. I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then she like attaches her photograph on one of them. Mm -hmm. So she's like putting herself within her art while like removing herself from her art. And they said she did this a lot. She would use her body as a reference for, like, her drawings, her paintings, photographs, and casts. So she probably casted her face for those, actually. And it was to, like, critique herself, but then also identify herself as a woman who was facing prejudices within the circumstances of her life. Which makes sense with pop art being so sexist at the time. And that probably was the movement she was trying to become a part of or yeah yeah. and like gallery showings and stuff i think a lot of the times they did things by movement there is a book by luce or lucy Aragere called this sex which is not one that says to play with mimesis or mimicry is thus for a woman to try to recover the place of her exploration by discourse without allowing herself to be simply reduced to it It means Mm -hmm. to resubmit herself to ideas about herself that is elaborated in by masculine logic, but so as to make visible by an effect of playful repetition what was supposed to remain invisible. I like that. Yeah. That's cool. So that's a lot of what she was doing. She was like cropping, enlarging, reframing, and replicating her subject manner over and over again to Mm -hmm. show like this different aspects, different point of views, be a satirical look at it to mimic things, to break down the notions of a woman, Mm -hmm. to reassemble different parts of being a woman, to put conflicting materials together to show, like, disassociated women, and then also to symbolize different things. So That's cool. Yeah, like, tons of meaning, obviously, within what she was doing. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. So today I am shouting out the Instagram is the Rachel Henderson Studio. They are a designer, home decor designer, interior stylist. It's her, the bio says, your daily dose of color inspo. It's so colorful. I know. So yes, exactly that. All of her posts are her decorating homes in very colorful ways. And yeah, I absolutely love it. We talk about all the time about how we want our future homes to be very colorful and bright. And yes, all of her pictures, it is exactly what it is. Like it is color inspo. And I absolutely love her page and just flipping through it. I was just scrolling it. There's like a reel that she posted. It's like Barbie cord. It's just like this bright pink bathroom with like daisy accents and everything. So I absolutely love it. Okay. Her daisy mural. Yeah. um, I feel like you obviously need one. I think I need it actually. Yeah. I think that's essential. Truly. So yeah, big fan of what she does. And yeah, it's super fun just to scroll through her account, even just mindlessly. So that is go so do great. that. You can book her, which is cool. She has a website, YouTube channel, do a consultation. It's amazing. Yeah, for real. Okay. I found a podcast right after we recorded our episode last week. And then I was like, darn it, this would have been helpful. <laughs> I'm excited. 
But I listened to the first episode and I felt like it was such great insight. And we were covering three books. And so it was hard for me to express like what reading Lolita is because it's such a complicated narrative. And obviously I had really complicated feelings about it because it's such a weird narrative book. Yeah. And even I was talking to my brother about it and he was like, doesn't it glorify pedophilia? And then I was like, no, the author is actually doing the opposite. But I like couldn't really explain how. Yeah. And then I listened to this podcast and I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly how to explain this book. So cool. It's called Lolita Podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a one time thing. Like it's not running anymore. It was Jamie Loftus went through basically dissected Lolita in 10 episodes. They're all like over an hour long. Some are an mm-hmm. hour, some are an hour and a half. And she just talks about like how it's misunderstood and misinterpreted and misrepresented mm-hmm. and like how it got there and then all of the different branches off of it. Like we didn't even mention like Lolita fashion or oh, yeah. <laughs> like there's just so much that comes from it. And so I listened to the first episode and She just talked a lot about the plot of the book and then also explained how many references he throws in there where he's, like, calling out other pedophiles from culture. Like, apparently Lewis Carroll, the author of Alice in Wonderland, huge pedophile, he took pictures of Alice Liddell who inspired Alice in Wonderland when she was, like, younger. And then he also brings up Edgar Allan Poe and there's, like, a phrase of the poem that is used over and over again throughout the novel with the the main guy comparing himself to Poe and Poe married his cousin who was like half of his age. So like Vladimir Nobokov is like actively threading Calling this narrative this yeah. of yeah. And I think she does a really good job of explaining what the book actually is doing mm-hmm. and like why there shouldn't be so much fear associated with it. But then also does explain how with so many people misinterpreting it, like the harm that it's done. Yeah. Where people who are victims of like domestic and sexual assault look at it and they're like, why would you ever read that? That's disgusting and fair. But then it's also like that wasn't the intent. And also like she brings up the letter that's at the beginning that basically says this letter was written. This novel was written by a guy who was in jail while he was on trial for murder. Yeah. And then at the end kind of says this should serve as a representation of the fact that we need to raise a world that's safer for our children. So it was supposed to be warning against all of this. And considering how long ago it was written, I just think it's even more prevalent today, especially with social media and grooming and yeah, like catfishing and to catch a predator and all that stuff that like. It does have a lot of importance, and that's what our episode last week was about, but I feel like I didn't do a good job of explaining Lolita anyway. No, cool. That's a good (laughs) good podcast to check out then. I love it. Thank you. Yes. So definitely at least listen to the first episode, even if you don't end up going into the rest of them. All right. Now back to the show. One of her other famous sculptures is called The Party which had a large number of figures that were adorned and found objects in the latest fashion. These ones are wearing a ton of clothes. They are very similar to the other people mm-hmm. with the wooden bases and then other things attached. What's funny about this one is that the dresses, shoes, gloves, and jewelry all appear to be genuine, but they're actually imitations of precious consumer goods. So I'm thinking like knockoff high fashion like fake Prada or something totally basically which is hilarious because she's showing like it's a fabricated sense of truth she also used like costume supplies paint advertising photographs to show like this idea of things being shown in a way that they aren't actually yeah I yeah which love and then it's set up like a theater to also further that of this fake facade and then what's actually so it's almost like they're all being like placed as if they're being staged yeah cool which is such a cool criticism on consumerism of the time and Mm -hmm. i think her photograph is on a couple of these oh cool i think six at least but basically what they sum it up a lot is that she made sculptures that made us question whether our idea of ourselves 
is real or just a mix of different images. She used art not just to express herself, but to show that our sense of self is something we make up in our minds. Dang. I like how thought out all the art movement is. And I feel like especially too, like we talk a lot about art and like the women's lives, but I don't feel like we always like analyze the art, but almost I don't want to say it's not as intentional, but I think it's just so very clear what the messaging here of her art is that it's, I don't know, it's just like fun to just be able to obviously see it. And I feel like it's such a fun way to get to know someone because I know you had said that, oh, we don't have as much about her personal life and that's like disappointing. But at the same time, I feel like I'm so much more understanding who Mm -hmm. she actually was based off of the things that she's trying to express and the way she's choosing to with her art. You know what I mean? It's so cool that I feel like we can still very intimately get to know someone based off of the art that they produced. No, I agree. She put so much thought into it. This is like Taylor Swift Easter egg level <laughs> for every sculpture. For a modern equivalent. Yeah, I Actually, love that. maybe not even like real Taylor Swift Easter eggs, like the ones that people think are there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's actually like what the people level. think are. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Because, yeah, it's crazy. Like you can tell she had so much thought that she put into this. Other things that she would do, she would like have casts of her own hands. She would do like expressionist strokes on different parts of the art she would combine symbols of like art identity and art throughout art history there was another quote that said therefore collapsing the distance between the role of woman and that of the artist by treating the signs of artistic masculinity as no less contingent no less the product of representation than are the signs of femininity like saying basically the artist is a fictional identity that has to be enacted through representational parts that has nothing to do with gender. Which I think was probably something really important to her, considering the fact that, like I said, it was a total boys' club at the time. Yeah. Yeah, This was not open to her, which would have been really frustrating when you literally traveled across the world and dedicated your whole life. You're like, I know I'm good enough for this. Like, step (laughs) aside, boys. Yeah. Another thing, they bring up mimicry a lot within her art, which I've mentioned a few times. Sometimes she would base her sculptures off of existing photographs and Mm -hmm. then translate them into new materials. So it's interpreting art into a different medium in order to bring about a different message, a different like story, a different point. So that was like a really common thing. Or the idea was to like take the message and make it more apparent. And then also by using like stuff, like found objects, they call it prefabricated information, but that sounds like so lengthy to just say stuff that already existed. It was allowing things to retain their meaning as they were already, but then giving them a different meaning as they were added into something else. And then also creating a distance between the artist and the subject that kind of had that like pop art adjacent sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, it's, oh, she went and bought a rolling pin from the thrift store. That's not her rolling pin. That's someone else's rolling pin. But now it's a part of her sculpture. So it doesn't have that personal attachment to her. But then she like put it in and gives it more meaning. Yeah. Okay. If that makes sense. Found art is really cool, but complicated when people try to explain what it really is. Because it's, yeah, there's obviously so much thought and effort put into each thing that you pick up. Everything I read about her, they like explained everything so complicated. I know. Damn, we're getting like scholarly. I know. I was like, goodness, why hasn't any, like, why wasn't she in my school? They definitely could have made a whole chapter on her. It's like, this is textbook level stuff. Yeah. Okay. One of her other famous sculptures was an imitation of President Charles de Gaulle, who was the leader of France. He was known Mm -hmm. for his autocratic style of leadership, and he was a very composed man. And so she actually chose an image of him as an elderly gentleman exaggerated all of his features in almost like a cartoon like way so made like uh-huh. almost like a caricature like increased his sagging cheeks his distant eyes type lift mouth a crooked tie to make him look like a cartoon and then unbalanced his uniform to show how people were worried about the, how the government was behaving and so in doing this she's like letting the public know about his imperfections even though he presents so perfectly to the public as like a person yeah so she was like showing that he was just like everyone else and like creating this tension between the sculpture and the audience because it's not great it's tilted and like exaggerated like it doesn't look right so it would create like unease in the subject and i thought that was cool because then it's like showing the unease between 
the public, and this political figure. Like political cartoons, but in sculpture form. (laughs) Perfect. That is so cool. Yeah. So like I talked about, she was excluded from pop artists, but also has been excluded from art history a lot. This is by art critics and feminists. Wow. Yes. For feminists, a lot of the times her work was perceived as showing tropes of femininity from an uncritical standpoint, even though that's what she was doing. Like trying. Apparently her figurines were too feminine in some ways. Okay. (laughs) But then on the flip side, pop art critics would use her femininity as the framework to show that she was too sentimental, not objective enough, and therefore couldn't be a part of pop art. So there's like no one wanted her kind of a thing. Yeah. And that sucks. It's just one of those annoying things about being a woman. <laughs> you're too feminine for this, but you're not feminine enough for that. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, you can't be a part of either. And it's where on earth do you belong then? If you're not allowed in the boys club because you're a girl, but then the girls won't let you in there because you're, you're too in this case, too that. much of a girl. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then it's just, oh, that's just not fair. Also, she was, like, a woman of color, so there was, like, some racial tension and other things that were happening at the time that Mm -hmm. were totally unfair. But instead of letting that get her down and, like, changing her art in order to fit more fully into one or the other, she used it continually and threw it into more things and continued to use her identity of feminine as a way to deconstruct and redefine the ideas of what made a woman. Mm -hmm. Like, controlling her own representation of herself. So that's really cool and very powerful. Funnily enough, she was actually really close friends with Andy Warhol and Roy Lichtenstein, who are two of the most famous pop artists. So I don't know who is excluding her. If you've got yeah, Andy Warhol like, on your Yeah, I was like, hello, but okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. She actually port- appeared in two of Andy Warhol's films, The Kiss in 1963 and 13 Most Beautiful Girls in 1964. That's also when she did The Party, the installation that's now at the Toledo Museum of Art. And this is also when she dropped her family surname of Escobar in order to stand out from the crowd so she went as marisol for the rest of her artistic career she also drifted through a lot of art movements at the time like we talked about there was a article in the new york times in 1965 by grace gluick that was titled not pop not op it's marisol and it it was talking about how like she didn't really fit in either pop art or op art she was just her yeah but she also said silence was an integral part of marisol's work and life she was said to have spoken no more than she needed to and in her work she has been described as having to bestow silence with form and weight she talked little of her career and once stated i have been very fortunate people like what i do wow that like silence from childhood seeped a little bit into adulthood as well it doesn't sound like she talked very often and There's hardly anything about her personal life. That's why I haven't mentioned it. I could find no relationships. There was no children, no marriages. I don't know what sexual orientation she was. Yeah. No clue. It's literally she lived and died by her art. That was her entire life. That's how the only way that she expressed herself. And that's, I think, what makes it even cooler to look into Her art Mm -hmm. and how much meaning she put into it because the fact that she said so little means that her art is essentially all she left of herself behind, Mm -hmm. which is insane. One other, like probably her most seen, I would say, work of art is in 1966, she completed a sculptural portrait of Hugh Hefner. Cool. Probably know that name. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean. Yeah. That's the founder of Playboy. And she depicted him with two copies of his trademark pipe. So he had two coming out of his mouth. One was painted and the other one, I think, just was there. I don't know. I need to find a picture of that one to post. And they actually featured the sculpture on the cover of Time magazine Mm -hmm. and is now in the National Portrait Gallery of the Smithsonian. And a curator actually said Escobar is always using humor and wit to unsettle us to take all of our expectations of what a sculptor should be and what a portrait should be and met and when ah, and messing with them. 
what a sculpture should be and what a portrait should be and messing with them. So when she's asked why there are two pipes, she says, Hugh Hefner has too much of everything. (laughs) Just so funny. Like, of course he does. He has too much of everything. Truly. And this was like a common thing. She had repeated portraits of public figures, family members, and friends in her sculptures. She did one of the Kennedys and (laughs) a larger-than-life image of the family. She also had so much respect for Leonardo da Vinci, which valid. And so she decided to make a life-size sculptural representation of herself contemplating the Last mm-hmm. Supper. So it's like her standing in front of the Last Supper, which Amazing. I love. <laughs> and then also did a lot of work based on da Vinci's The Virgin with St. Anne. That's a lot. She's gotten some recognition now. She was included in the 1972 poster, Some Living American Woman Artists by Beth. Mary Beth Edelson, Judy Chicago, explained in her interview for The Independent that there was little recognition for female artists and artists of color, which shed some light on artists like Maris Hall during the pop art movement who didn't get the recognition that she would have deserved. She started receiving a little bit of recognition for pop art in 1965. That brought about some of those articles and everything we talked about. But because her pop art was different like her sculpture was satirical and Mm -hmm. (laughs) critical and feminine and a lot of the times as a female artist of color they which i hate this phrase but they viewed her as a wise primitive is what they said which is annoying instead of the child like oh because of like her folk and childlike qualities within her sculptures Mm -hmm. and so they're like oh like she's wise but ethnic that like constant thing that they throw on people which is dumb and she just didn't allow herself to be defined and so it allowed her to be obliterated but there's something so respectable about it even though it leaves her out of the narrative but it's because she didn't want to be a part of it because she didn't fit in it And then someone, another critic, even talked about her and said, without feminine pop, there couldn't have been masculine pop in opposition. Without the soft periphery, there could have been no hardcore. So basically saying, like, she was needed. If she wouldn't have been there, it wouldn't have worked. So the fact that they leave her out is is ridiculous. I love that, though. Yeah. So later on in quote, I mean, not (laughs) clearly. Later on, she received the 1997 Premio Gabrielle Mistral Award for her contribution to inter-American culture. She was elected to membership in the American Academy of the Arts and Letters in 1978. She did some wood sculptures in the 1990s, mostly depicting Native Americans. Two of them were well-received, and she felt like her art was beginning to be really misunderstood. In 2004, she was featured at the MoMA at El Museo. And then also, oh, yeah, and that was for the exhibition of Latin American artists at the MoMA. And then in 2014, they had a retrospective at the Memphis Brooks Museum of Art. That's near you. Which also became her first solo show in New York City as well. She was known for a distinctive appearance. She wore really colorful clothes, large sunglasses. Like I said, even though she had connections with really famous figures like Andy Warhol, Roy Lichtenstein, traveled across the world, knew basically everyone in the art scene, she was really private. She didn't reveal anything about her personal life. And so I don't have anything to tell you about her personal life other than the little bit we know about her childhood because there's nothing there. She lived in the Tribeca district of New York City in the last years of her life. She suffered from Alzheimer's. And ended up dying on April 30th, 2016, not that long ago, actually, Yeah, in New York City from pneumonia at age 85 years old. And her entire estate was left to the Albright Knox Art Gallery in Buffalo, New York. And in 2022, most recently, the Perez Art Museum Miami presented a Marisol and Warhol Take New York that talked about Escobar and Andy Warhol for an exhibition. Cool. So, yeah, her art's everywhere. It's scattered all across the United States. It's amazing. I'm going to post a ton of pictures. But, yeah, it's sad that we know nothing about her. Yeah. But at the same time, it is so cool that 
while we don't know much about their personal life, like I said, I feel like I actually do know about who this person was and how she viewed the world a lot, so much from her art. And I think that's just, I don't know, a cool reminder that is what, I mean, not only what art can do, but like what art is for. It's there to be an expression tool for the things that we don't always have the words for. Yeah, I love that. I agree. And her art was just so weird and wonderful and strange yeah. and it's just cool like it's I, inspiring me to want to make weirder art yeah it's approachable and yet it's so complex like mm-hmm. it's just beautiful like i will be posting tons of photos if you can't wait then like definitely go and look it up mm-hmm. there's some really cool ones and i'm sure there's so many like little hidden details and everything in here that yeah absolutely that's Marisol. Thank you for sharing her with me. Like looking at her art, I know I was a little bit shocked by first off the scale and <laughs> the, the materials. Dog. Yeah, <laughs> that was admittedly like, whoa. But like this is all incredible art. Just like doing a quick Google search and looking through like it is incredible what she did. And you're right. It, like It has like an approachable quality to it that's really cool for also like how unique and different she yeah it all was and so yeah, i absolutely love it it's like the strangest art ever but with the found objects and like the wood textures and everything yeah. it like makes it look so normal because it's like all things on a regular basis and yet like these are not shaped like regular people yeah exactly so yeah it's very cool and I'm it. sure she was like a very fascinating woman. Totally. Awesome. Thank you again for teaching mm-hmm. us about her. And yeah, if you are not following us on our Instagram, absolutely go do that because obviously we post a lot of visuals. And when we're talking about visual artists, I feel like it's a very key component to understanding them. So yes, come check it out. <laughs> Definitely. Cool. And we'll be back next week with a topic it'll be great <laughs> it will i'm really excited about it so i know be a you good too time. cool see you next week see ya bye bye everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.